So Nell's painted a really beautiful picture for us of the God who sees, the God who showed compassion and gave hope to the victim of terrible abuse. I have been in ministry a really long time now, and even though this is a room full of fairly privileged women, I'm under no illusions that that may be the story of some of you here. Just when we're middle class, we're told to hide it. A friend of mine's recently done a piece of research into abuse in churches in a region uh, of the Northwest, a very pleasant, respectable region of the Northwest. The statistics that came back were horrifying. Okay, so I'm making no assumptions about where people are at and what you need to hear from God today. But I'm also aware that there are probably a bunch of us in this room for whom that, that is not the case. That Hagar's story is not our story. What I do think is beautiful about scripture, and one of the reasons I love it so much, is that there is a story for each of us. The Bible talks about the great cloud of witnesses, men and women, whose stories and journeys are a bit like ours. Psychologists have a phrase they use, um, and they talk about Stories being inspiring when we have points of affinity with those who are in them. And the more points of affinity we have, the more powerful the story is. I started doing some uh, research a number of years ago now because I felt like the women that I heard presented in church, I didn't have many points of affinity with. And I, having grown up in church most of my life, felt like, I kept being told to be like Moses. I am not an 80-year-old man. And there are things I can learn from Moses. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all this is gender-specific. But, you know, telling our 14-year-old girls that the Apostle Paul is your role model made me go, okay, there are things we can learn from Paul, but what about these points of affinity that make us know we are seen, we are known, we are noticed. And so what um, I created, and you're welcome to look uh, look on it, it's all free, is a website. It's called cloudofwitnesses.org.uk, for those who are so inclined. And what I would like to share for you today are the stories of three of the women I discovered as I was doing my research, as I was looking for those I might have some points of affinity with. And their experiences, although their circumstances are different from Hagar, they have the same experiences of being noticed, known, and sent by God. It's not just Hagar that that has the experience of Elroy. The Bible is full of women that have those experiences. So I would like to introduce you to three women who I now consider to be friends. When when we meet... They might not consider me to be their friend, but having sat with their stories, they're beautiful. Their stories are relatively ordinary women, because I suspect that lots of us in this room, we consider ourselves to be fairly ordinary. We're quite privileged. We're quite privileged women, let's be honest. You know, most of us are middle class, but we, you know, we're not Jackie Pullinger, we're not Mother Teresa, we're not hero of the faith, we're just ordinary. And I think when you feel you're a bit ordinary, you can also feel that you're a bit invisible. 
The people that are very vulnerable, sometimes they get seen. The people that are very exceptional, they get seen. But me, I'm just ordinary. I'm just a teacher. I'm just a mother. I'm just a not mother. (laughs) I'm just a something. And so the women I would like to introduce you to before we have coffee are ordinary and the extraordinary but they are all noticed and known and sent by God. The first is a woman who I will be impressed if anybody here has heard of, unless you're an Old Testament scholar. And this being Oxford, that is possible, I realize. (laughs) Um, If you want to follow her story, it's in 2 Chronicles 34. Uh Uh-huh, 2 Chronicles. When was the last time you read 2 Chronicles? This is a woman who lived in, shall we call them interesting times? Sounds a little bit familiar. She lived at a point in Israel's history where for hundreds of years the kings had been faithless. The people had pretty much abandoned the covenant. The temple had fallen into disrepair uh, and God's people were indulging in shrine prostitution, other forms of really nasty pagan worship. Uh, And she appears just briefly in 2 Chronicles 34. The the background to her story is that there is a new monarch, a young king, King Josiah, um, and he is in the process of rebuilding and restoring the temple. He's one of the faithful kings of Israel. Um, And in the process, they discover the scroll of the law down the back of the altar. It's like some takeaway menu that's dropped down the back of the fridge. Um, So none of the priests know it's there. Nobody knows it's there. They find this scroll and they read it to King Josiah. And King Josiah freaks out, like properly freaks out. Clothed herring, ashes on his head. We're in big trouble. We have broken the covenant. God is coming for us. What do we do? It is unclear what he does. It is unclear who he goes to for help because clearly the priests who should know the law The men, priests who should know the law, clearly don't. It's been down the back of the altar. Nobody's read it for forever. What they do, where they go for help, is the million-dollar question. And the person they go to for help is Huldah. She pops up. Verse 22 is where we come across her. Hilkiah And those the king sent with him went to speak to the prophetess Huldah, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tokath, the son of Hazrath, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. So here is my friend Huldah. She is the wife of a senior government official, the keeper of the wardrobe. So the person who oversees all the official events in Israel's monarchy. Clearly, they are affluent. They are cosmopolitan. They live in the new quarter of Jerusalem, the new build area with the nice houses with the pools. We know that affluent women in the Old Testament were not always approved of by the Lord. The prophet Isaiah refers to affluent women in his time as cows of Bashan. I am not making that up. He says, you ladies who lunch, 
while your husbands exploit the poor so you can be kept in the manner to which you're accustomed. You better believe that God is holding you responsible for while you get your nails done and don't care about the poor. God has a problem with affluent women who exploit their position. And Huldah could have been one of those. This is her social class. But she hasn't. She is really interesting because she is clearly literate. She is clearly educated in a time when few women were. She somehow knows the law. She's retained knowledge of the covenant where the priests haven't. How has she even done that? And she has stayed faithful to Yahweh for decades when virtually no one else has. It is a dispiriting thing, isn't it, to watch those around you abandon faith, to watch your nation turn away from its religious roots, to watch the poor get poorer and the rich not care, to want to see revival come and feel like a lone voice while everybody else scorns your faith and slanders you and puts their trust in other things. Sound a bit familiar? Hulda, this smart, educated woman, affluent woman, has held on to God through dark times in her nation. And clearly her prayer life is strong. The spirit of God is on her. She knows the law inside out because when they don't know what to do, when they don't know who to turn to, the political leaders go to her, tell us what to do. Hulda, what what is God saying? This is Hulda's response. Verse 23, brace yourself. She said to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, that's the king. This is what the Lord says. I am going to bring disaster on this place and its people. All the curses written in the book that has been read in the presence of the king and Judah. Because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all that their hands have made, my anger will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I've heard you, says the Lord. Now I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and those who live here. So they took her answer back to the king. She doesn't mince her words, does she? Hold her. I think she might be from Yorkshire. (laughs) She is not a demure, polite, conflict-avoidant lady. This is a woman who hears the Lord and speaks what he says to her, even to the king. Tell the man who sent you. God's judgment is coming. It is coming. But your repentance, Josiah, means it's been held back for a generation It's been held back for a season. God has noticed your attitude. He knows your desire to be faithful. 
Feisty is a word we might use for holder. Assertive. Often we are taught, still today, to be demure, polite, conflict avoidant as women, aren't we? I have met countless young, incredibly bright women who still dumb down so as not to intimidate the guys. But here, noticed and known, is Holder. Honoured with a purpose, smart, feisty Holder. She's been faithful in stewarding her intellect, in maintaining her faith, in holding on to God despite the behaviour of the rest of her social class. This is her moment, and boy did she take it. This shapes the future policy of the King of Israel. It may well be that there are some bits of her story that resonate with some of us in this room. You are smart women. You are affluent women. You are faithful women. Maybe the call on you now is to be brave women. Undoubtedly, many of you are. But some of us may need to know today that God has noticed and known that you have fought to hold on to your faith regardless of those around you, that God has noticed and known that you have tried to faithfully serve with the intellectual capacity you've been given. And that's not always easy, even in 2019. It may be that some of you need to hear that God has noticed and known that you've tried to hold your own in a man's world and what that's cost you. If that is you, be encouraged. Noticed and known and sent. Second friend I'd like to introduce you to a bit more briefly is another affluent woman, and she appears just twice in Luke's gospel. She's literally just a footnote. Luke 8, Luke 24. From a human perspective, she's almost invisible, which, let's be honest, is how many of us often feel almost invisible. Luke 8, Joanna, the wife of Chizza, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others, these women were helping support Jesus out of their own means. And then verse uh, chapter 24, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and others with them who told this to the apostles. Again, it's easy to skip over Joanna. She gets two name checks in the whole of the Bible. Just a little footnote. But she is noticed and known by God, regardless of whether she gets lots of attention in human terms or not. Boy, does she have a role to play. Like Holder, she is married to a government official. She's an affluent woman. This time in Herod's court, Herod was the Roman puppet king over Israel at the time of Jesus. And she is another woman who could have just lived a comfortable life of luxury. What we do know about Joanna is that she was among a group of women who were healed by Jesus. Whose lives were transformed by meeting him. And she, along with Susanna and a few others, is now bankrolling Jesus and, well, the Muppets. Let's call them that. 
She literally is writing the checks that is keeping the Jesus show on the road. Her gratitude at having her life transformed is being outworked in generosity. She uses what she has, the resources available to her for the kingdom of God. And the consequences of that are that hundreds, thousands of people are being healed, are hearing Jesus teach, are being made whole. Their lives are being transformed by the ministry of Jesus that she is making financially possible. I don't know if you're aware of that, that it was women that bankrolled Jesus. But Joanna isn't just a writer of checks, sitting at a distance. She is clearly now spending her time with the Muppets, as I like to call them. This, like, ragtag group of disciples that Jesus has got, you know, I mean, some of them stink a fish, some of them are political radicals, many of them are socially undesirable, and she is the wife of a government official, and she's hanging out with them. (laughs) I wonder what her husband thought of that. I wonder what her friends thought of that. And she is one of the women who witnesses the resurrection. She witnesses the resurrection. Why? Because she followed her rabbi. She was seen, known, and sent. She may only be a footnote in human terms, a name we just skip over, get to the next thing, the next person. But the fact that she is there Noticed, known, with a purpose. (coughs) Elroy, the God who sees, he sees, he knows. She is part of that cloud of witnesses. And we are told that the cloud of witnesses are cheering us on, like a football stadium. I love that image. It's my favorite image in the Bible. I don't know if you remember the 2014 Olympics. Some of you may have been there. I didn't go. But uh, by all accounts, the volume in the stadium, like Mo Farah talks about how basically he was carried on the volume of screaming from the crowds. Like it was breaking decibel meters. People cheering him on. Well, that's the image the Bible has of women like Holder and Joanna and Hagar. They are cheering us on. Come on, girls! The roar of the great cloud of witnesses. I know what it's like, says Holder, to be in a faithless generation. I know what it's like to feel like, well, Jesus has changed me, but what can I do, says Joanna. Noticed, known, sent. The final friend that I would like to introduce you to also just gets a little footnote. She's part of the story of the... uh, ministry of the Apostle Peter. And I love her because she reminds me of my mom. I am not like her, but my mom is just like her. Her name is Dorcas, sometimes translated as Tabitha. And you might know her story. It's in Acts chapter 9. Story goes like this. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. 
About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes. And other clothing that Dorcas had made, while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. He got on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known, surprisingly, (laughs) all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. That's quite a story. This time we have an ordinary woman, not an affluent woman, who has spent her time and her energy making clothes for the vulnerable and the destitute. Actually, the other clothes that are translated here is underwear. She's been making underwear for the widows. Those with no family, with no benefits, with no social services those who really are destitute. She's been showing them dignity, pouring out her time and energy doing that. She's not a victim of abuse like Hagar or an intellectual prophetess with attitude like Holder. She's not got disposable income like Joanna. What she's got is practical skills and she uses them to be a blessing. And you see in that little story the difference they make. Underwear for the humiliated and vulnerable. Such a little thing in the great scheme of things, isn't it? Such a little thing to do. Like volunteering at a food bank. Or teaching children to read. Or visiting the homebound. I knew a lady once who used to go into the... Uh, the homeless shelter at St. George's Crypt in Leeds, and she would wash the hair of the women there. She was a hairdresser. She'd go in and she'd do the hair of the women who were living on the streets. She said, I couldn't take them off the streets, but I could make them feel like a woman again, just for a day, like a normal person. Those are the acts of Tabitha. And you better believe God noticed (laughs) that she was known In her case, she was flipping resurrected. (laughs) The nothings, those acts of kindness, those nothings that you don't get paid for, that nobody sees, they make make up so much of how God shows his compassion and action on earth. My mum, bless her. She knits beanies for premature babies in the local hospital. She sits with her knit and natter group and they knit beanies for babies. She makes eye spy quilts for refugee children, you know, with patterned fabric so they can learn the language better. Where's the car? Oh, there's the car. Where's the dog? There's the dog. 
She bakes cakes for a mums and tots group where she just chats with new mums in the kitchen while she does the washing up. In human terms, she's no one special. What she does is unremarkable. She's just a kind elderly woman now. She'd kill me for saying that. (laughs) But like Tabitha, she blesses the least. The small, the hurting. I'm sure there are plenty of Tabithas here today. They usually are in churches. Women with pastoral and mercy gifts who just love others, get no credit for it, nobody notices. Think it's no big deal. Tabitha shows us God says, no. Noticed, known, sent. Alroy sees. He knows what you do is precious to him. God delights in the Tabithas. These are just three women. I could, I could give you loads more. The utter legend that is the 87-year-old heroine of the faith, Anna, widowed for 60 years, who has devoted her life to worship and prayer and is the very first evangelist. She's 87. She don't care what nobody thinks. She's the one that goes, it's the Messiah! Everybody's like, yeah, Anna's off again. No, she's right. Or a little slave girl who still trusted her God despite everything she's been through enough to tell the man who owns her where to go and get healed of his leprosy. Or Mary, the sister of Barnabas, who takes the risk of hosting a prayer vigil the night Peter's life is on the line in prison. The list goes on and on and on of women, often just footnotes, not the big players in the Bible's accounts, but there nonetheless. Noticed, known, sent, given a purpose in what God is busy doing. And that is true of each of us. Whether we identify with Hagar or Huldah or Joanna or Tabitha or someone completely different, scripture shows us that the ordinary lives of women are precious to God. That he has dreams and plans and opportunities for us to invest our lives in transforming individuals, in transforming communities, nations, generations even. We are significant. You are significant. Regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you've been told, what you've experienced, your faith, your life, your gifts, they matter to Elroy. The dreams he has for us are far bigger than we can imagine. And that's what we're going to spend today exploring. Whether you need comfort like Hagar, whether you're waiting for the opportunity like Hulda, whether you need courage and generosity like Joanna, or just affirmation that what you already do is so precious, like Tabitha. I firmly believe that God has a word for each of us here today, because we are noticed. More importantly, we are known. And your life, your contribution in God's plans are precious and important. Shall we pray?
Father God, you have so many names. Yahweh, the God who really is. El Shaddai, the God who provides. We thank you today that you are El Roy, the God who sees. And we invite you. We invite you to come and speak, to comfort, encourage, exhort, challenge, inspire. We thank you for our four sisters. And we thank you that we are the four sisters of the coming generations. We hold our lives and our circumstances before you knowing that your desire is that we would thrive. Come Holy Spirit. Bless us that we might be a blessing. Amen.